Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Due to the graphic nature of some of the topics we will be touching on, listener discretion is advised. Oh, hello, everyone. Welcome back. I'm your host. Your boy Maddie Ice, aka Matt. I'm here with my lovely co-hostesses, ladies. Tell them what's good. Howdy, y'all. Hello, hello, hello. In the past, we've referenced a number of these cases. However, I don't think we've really done too specifically. We've talked about mass shootings on several occasions. We've talked about different large-scale murder scenes with one perpetrator or two perpetrators and one weapon, maybe two weapons. The James Holmes case comes to mind immediately. But this seems to be an isolated incident. I shouldn't say isolated incident, isolated incidents in the entirety of the world spectrum. It's a very American phenomenon to have these mass shootings taking place at such a high rate in so many places. And what really scares me is that one of the most common places that these take place is in schools amongst children. And that is frightening for a number of reasons, but mainly for me because it scars so many people. And recently we just had one of the most infamous school shootings in American history be decided and the sentence be given of the perpetrator for the public to see. We want to take it back. This is Jacob Cruz, born on September 24, 1998, in Margate, Florida, and adopted at birth by Linda and Roger Cruz. Both his adopted parents unfortunately died when he was very young, Roger, on August 11, 2004, and Linda on number 1st, 2017, which left Cruz orphaned three months prior to Valentine's Day. Since his mother's death, Nicholas had been living with relatives and friends, bouncing around a bit. At the time of this shooting, he was enrolled in a GED program and employed at a local Dollar Tree. Of course, we're referring to Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, a public high school in a wealthy yet pretty diverse area north of Fort Lauderdale. It's set up with multiple satellite buildings, a unique contemporary campus, each housing various classrooms, offices, administrative buildings. 
Building 12, which is known as the Freshman Building on campus. That's the building that Nicholas Cruz entered on February 14th. It contained 30 classrooms. There were roughly 950 people in the building at the time. Wearing a maroon t-shirt adorned with the school's logo, Nicholas Cruz exited an Uber just outside the campus at 2.19 p.m. He approached the school wearing a backpack filled with extra magazines and carrying a black duffel bag with his legally purchased AR-15 semi-automatic rifle. He wasn't wearing a face covering, wasn't really using any concealment strategy whatsoever. He wanted everyone to know exactly who he was and what he was about to do. School staff had ironically enough been warned after Cruz's recent expulsion for, quote, disciplinary reasons, the troubled young man could potentially be a risk to students' safety. He'd supposedly had run-ins with students, staff, various occasions on campus, and experienced some in-person and cyberbullying in his time at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. And I want to take a moment to say we don't condone that in any capacity. Obviously, it's a terrible tragedy of growing up that bullying exists, but it is not an excuse nor an explanation for what Nicholas Cruz did. I don't think we can jump 80 to 90% of what we talk about on this show. That's a damn straight fact, Jules. I'm simply offering that. Obviously, it's a terrible thing. We don't want people to think that we're saying, you know, it shouldn't be mentioned or shouldn't be considered, but not in an explanatory fashion. A staff member saw Nicholas outside, and he hesitated to call a, quote, code red. Apparently, the school's policy is that they would put this out over the radio, and everybody would be informed right away, the teachers, the staff, security, etc. Nicholas Cruz entered Building 12, the freshman building, through a side door, carrying openly a semi-automatic AR-15 rifle and three additional magazines. Crews patrolled around the hallway, stalking in the halls for a little bit. He killed three students first in that hallway and then fired through the closed windows of four classroom doors, killing six more and wounding 13 more people. Ivy Shamus was teaching a lesson in her Holocaust history class on combating hate when Nicholas Cruz fired shots into her classroom indiscriminately and killed two more people. After killing two staff members near a stairwell, Cruz went to the second floor where he fired into two more classrooms intermittently but did not hit anyone. He went up another floor where he shot and killed five students and another staff member, all of whom had been stranded in the hallway. Four other students were also injured in that hallway. The shooting lasted for about six minutes in total. Cruz initially escaped the school, which is crazy to me, with the rest of the fleeing student body. He hid out for a while at a local fast food joint, before being picked up by police walking the streets as a suspect, based on his description. Cruz was arrested and initially taken to the hospital, 
because he was having a panic attack. He was eventually released and booked into police custody after he calmed down. In less than six minutes, in one day, he had perpetrated one of the deadliest school shootings in American history. As people of Parkland still continue to pick up the pieces, questions linger. How did this happen? Who was responsible? How was Nicholas Cruz allowed to enter the school with a gun despite a history of mental illness and his expulsion? What could have been done to prevent this? And I'm sure to this day for that community and for the American people, doubt and lingering pain remains. This was within the last five years, as gut-wrenching as I remember this being. As of recently, though, we finally have a verdict in an issued sentence. I want to delve a little bit further into that day. I mean, this guy was nothing if not cruelly efficient. He just made his way through that school as though he were breaching a building for the military. All of the victims, and you're talking about how many people, 40 people either killed or wounded in under four minutes. School surveillance cameras actually picked up crews, like we said, coming into the building right away. And he was even recognized by numerous eyewitnesses. So there's supposed to be a system in place if an active shooter situation takes place at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, this code red system. That wasn't triggered until three minutes into the event. So their emergency system was already towards the end of the emergency. As we mentioned, a staff member outside the school, when he saw the eventual shooter approaching campus, had this black duffel bag. Why he hesitated, we never know. Can't tell you what was in his mind, but he didn't call for an emergency situation at that moment. And Cruz, when he first walked into the building, walked around the halls for a little bit, kind of stalked around looking through the place. He even bumped into a freshman named Chris McKenna. Chris testified later that Cruz told him, gave him a chilling warning. You better get out of here. Things are going to start to get messy. Chris said he then ran outside where he spotted coach and security monitor Aaron Feist. Coach Feist took him to the baseball field about 500 feet away and then turned back to check out the scene. This was maybe a minute before he started shooting. So by the time all that's said and done, the shooting's already underway. In just under two minutes, he murdered 11 people and injured 13 others in one floor. Then went and headed upstairs. He was on the second floor less than a minute, firing into two classrooms but hitting no one, and then made his way up to the third floor where he killed his last six victims and injured four more people in just under 45 seconds on that floor. I mean, it's just unfathomable to me. That's why I say guns are... Let's see what Ben, because it doesn't take much effort to do extreme amounts of damage. It's awful. And anybody can walk in and buy one. That I, that I will never understand. How any old body 
doesn't matter what your motivation is. doesn't matter where you come from or what your plan to do with it is. Not that you should have to say that to buy a gun. I don't believe that. But at the same time, you're like, Jesus, man, this guy could have gone and bought this two hours before doing this. I don't know. I don't understand it. But a geography teacher named Scott Bagel was killed after he unlocked a classroom for students to enter and hide from crews. Aaron Feiss named Chris McKenna and then went back in. He was an assistant football coach and security guard was killed as he shielded two students. Chris Hickson, the school's athletic director, was killed as he ran toward the sound of gunfire and tried to help fleeing students. I mean, in that instance, that's fight or flight. They all came forward, and we appreciate their sacrifice, but it's unimaginable. This is the crazy thing to me. This took place in Florida, as we said. This is really something just frightening. There were 950 people in that building. He managed to kill 17. He tried shooting out the windows in the teacher's lounge so that he could shoot down on students fleeing in the courtyard. He was prevented, thankfully, by hurricane-reinforced windows and incapable of firing into the courtyard from that floor. Those windows probably saved Dozens more lives. If we talk about how deadly the Las Vegas shooting was for being much further away from the intended targets and having the ability to shoot down on them. I mean, what could have happened is so much worse than what happened. Because if he'd been able to shoot through those windows, you got to imagine he's continuing to kill as many people as he can until he's stopped. As people are fleeing through that courtyard. I do want to make a mention of the security measures that are in place there at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas and what happened that day as well, guys. Broward Sheriff's Deputy School Resource Officer Scott Peterson, who was assigned to the school that day, would later be accused of retreating during the shooting while victims were still under attack. Peterson was arrested, actually, in June 2019 and later faced charges of neglect of a child, culpable negligence, and perjury. So the guy who was charged by the Broward County Sheriff's Department to protect the school was inevitably charged with basically being a coward and neglecting his duty. Again, we say fight or flight. Who knows what would happen in that moment? Most people don't until it actually happens to them. SWAT paramedics were at the building quickly after the shooting wrapped up, but additional paramedics from the local fire rescue department repeatedly requested to enter the building after the shooting was over. Their requests were denied by the Broward County Sheriff's Office, even after the suspect had been arrested a couple hours later, which was kind of confusing to me. For whatever reason, they claimed jurisdiction and safety of the area from what I read, doesn't really make a ton of sense to me, though. Even though the shooter was contained and the school had been cleared, they weren't permitted to send extra aid. With that in mind, that doesn't really make a ton of sense to me. I'm not sure how many lives that could have saved after the fact, but I'm, I don't understand that policy. Just the ideas of what some of what was going on that day seem a little off to me. The measures in place that weren't adhered to people in place to do jobs for security that just didn't. And then 
weird security measures put in place after the fact that prevented emergency EMS workers from being there. They were denied for several hours the ability to enter that building just because there's some policy about that. Very strange. And again, we don't know what Cruz's total body count would have been or could have been if circumstances had been different. But it seems there were at least several opportunities to account for him or try to stop him with this code red. And the SWAT team at site had not been able to enter the school. And the security officer who was armed wasn't able to do anything about it. That's something worthy of note as well, I think. As we said, his attack lasted like less than five minutes. You're talking four minutes and some seconds. 17 dead people. At 2.28 p.m., seven minutes after he entered the building, Cruz ditched the AR-15 in a different stairwell than he'd been walking through and left Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, just blending in with the crowd of still fleeing people. He left campus, ran to a Walmart, stopped at a subway to grab a drink, and eventually headed down to a nearby McDonald's. And that's where he was apprehended shortly after after being spotted by a Broward County police officer. And I guess he was leaving the McDonald's, just kind of walking aimlessly. So this guy made it all around the local area before they were able to identify him. I find that hard to believe, but he was just blending in. And that's another kind of frightening thing about this whole thing, is he dropped the gun, walked out with everybody else that he was victimizing in the same token. And speaking of the victims, I know we unfortunately have so many of these cases where there are multiple victims and we talk about mass shooters and serial killers, but I think it's always important to not forget the victims' names, not forget that these were people with lives, not just statistics, not a number. So if I may, I'm going to read the names of the people whom he killed just in memoriam of them. Alyssa Aladef, Scott Beagle, Martin Duque, Nicholas Dwarit, Aaron Feiss, Jamie Gutenberg, Chris Hickson, Luke Hoyer, Kara Lochran, Gina Montalto, Joaquin Oliver, Elena Petty, Meadow Pollock, Elena Ramsey, Alex Schachter, Carmen Shentrup, and Peter Wang. Rest in peace to all of them. I had an interesting thought, not interesting, kind of a sombering thought. And Lisa, like you said, guns are so just pathetically pussy weapons. I mean, I'm sorry for lack of a better word. I had this thought though, and we can talk about this more as we discuss the eye for an eye portion of this case, but it's hard to believe almost when you put it in this perspective. We just recorded and we're just talking about the Jeffrey Dahmer episode, talking about the Netflix series impact and Nicholas Cruz killed the same number of people as Jeffrey Dahmer in less than five minutes. I don't understand that. But let's talk a little bit about Nicholas Cruz and his mental state prior to the shooting. There are reports giving circumstantial evidence of Cruz displaying signs of mental illness well before the shooting. He was kicked out of preschool for hurting other children. 
During his years in public school, he spent significant time at a center for students with emotional issues. He also received several years of mental health treatment. There are several life circumstances to consider the lead up to this, of course, as we said. Cruz's adoptive father died in front of him, supposedly, when he was five years old. He was bullied by his younger brother and his brother's friends. He was allegedly sexually abused by a, quote, trusted peer. He cut himself and abused animals, and his adoptive mother died less than four months before the shooting. So all of these things boiling up weighed on this young man. And he'd had, as we said, several behavioral issues since middle school. He was transferred between schools six times in three years in an effort to deal with some of these issues. In 2014, he was transferred to a school for children with emotional or learning disabilities. There were reports that at that institution, he made threats against other students. He made two passes through Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in his short tenure in that school system. He returned to Marjorie Stoneman Douglas after leaving in 2014. In 2017, however, two school years later, for disciplinary reasons, he was expelled. So they couldn't exactly expel him from the Broward County school system completely. He was just transferred to alternative placement, quote-unquote. The school administration had circulated an email to teachers warning that Nicholas Cruz had made threats to other students. And the school even went as far as to ban him from wearing a backpack on campus. So this dude definitely made a name for himself. He was not unknown amongst the school system, which I think is important to make note of he's been through the disciplinary system enough to know know, they can't kick him out entirely so what do you do i feel like kids though have been kicked out for much less in school so i'm not understanding and also don't understand was there no uh, school therapist or horses that the school could have provided him to really try to sit down and get into his brain and see what was going on here I have no idea. I guess that's what that alternative program's about. Unfortunately, at least I don't think there are always those resources available. This is 2017. We're not talking like when we were in school. So you would hope that there would be more. But back to your point about not being able to kick him out, I think maybe to what Matt was saying earlier, if he really did have a diagnosis of whether it was an emotional or behavioral disorder or disability that may have prevented the school from being able to kick him out. So they just kind of were like, okay, well, he's your problem now. He's your problem now and and just bounced him around. But that's just me going off of what I know. But it is quite frightening. And children usually, for reasons that are out of their control, can be really scary and have a lot of anger and, and can just be scary. Yeah, that's an understatement. I mean, we've covered a pretty decent amount of child killers on this show, and it makes you really think about the nature versus nurture argument. Where does that kind of mindset come from? How early does it start? Is it a product of being raised in a shitty environment? You know, it's weird. It's weird to think about because I don't know if we'll ever get a solid answer on that. 
I know there's populations here and there. And I was watching something recently, it's probably on TikTok, so let's take it with a grain of salt. But it was someone talking about how they were studying the brains of serial killers and some other group. And there was something in the brains of those people that did not light up in an average brain, which I thought was fascinating. Kind of reminds me of your idea of wanting to study blackouts. Where do these parts of our brain, what triggers it? Where does that come from? Why can I not kill an ant on the sidewalk or a mosquito that's actively biting me? But then there's some people who have this strong desire to kill anything and everything. It's very interesting to me. Yeah, I think it has a lot to do with empathy. I suffer from <laughs> I think you can be over-empathetic sometimes. Yeah, I always say my empathy is like broken. I always have like empathy for things I shouldn't probably have empathy for. Anyways, I don't remember what we were even talking about in regards to this case. But my distant cousin went to Parkland and was affected by this. One of his classrooms was shot up and his friends passed away. He's a distant cousin, so I can't claim that I know him personally. But that is more of a personal connection that I have to this case. And he's actually someone that you see often on interviews about this case because he's been very outspoken about gun violence and needing change. And he gave his testimony in the trial. So that's just an interesting little tidbit. And I actually reached out to him to see if he'd be on the show, but he hasn't seen it yet. So maybe we'll get an update with someone who has insight from firsthand experience with what do we call him? Little Dick Nick? Yeah. I That's not exactly what I said, but that is even better. <laughs> what did you call him? I don't know what I called him, but I like yours better. Jules, I'm curious, as a former teacher, I'm curious your opinion, because I'm sure you've seen little cretins, and my cousin's a school psychologist. She has also seen some super concerning things from very young kids. And I, I guess this is more of a question for a psychologist or a doctor, but still, I think you'd have good insight. Do you think that schools could do more? when they recognize this kind of behavior. Because you're right, I don't think they could have banned him from school. Although, like I said, I'm pretty sure I've seen people get expelled over way less serious offenses. But to the point where I said that they had a stipulation that they had to watch out and he wasn't allowed to wear a backpack. That's what I'm saying. They had rules especially in place for this kid. It seems like everybody knew about him, which I'm a little confused. If everybody knew about him and knew he was a problem, why wouldn't he have raised the alarm right away? First thing I would have done would have been like, yo, yo, Nick Cruz is here. What do we do? What's the protocol on this? Jules, was there ever a time that you can remember where there was a kid at school where every teacher was on high alert? Like, hey, something's off about this kid. Like, watch him. Never in a way that we were fearful, but I remember specifically when I taught on a military base, we had some runners and my classroom was right by the outside door. So we were kind of on alert of like, okay, if you hear a lot of commotion out by the door, go see what's going on. Somebody might be taken off. But you know who would have good insight on this? Probably is Sarah because she's doing her degree in school psychology. So we could have her shed some light on some of these things perhaps. But to your point, where does this come from? And how can we make better 
environments for teachers, for students who are innocent and students who are, I don't want to say innocent, that was not the right word, but who are just bystanders. And it's hard though, is that the school's responsibility? You know, are you going to school to get an education or are you going to school to be a completely well-rounded person? And that's a whole other debate because I don't think all of the schools in our country have the resources to create well-rounded individuals versus just get in, learn your science, math, blah, 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 and, you know, get out. So that's a whole other can of worms. Agreed. Honestly, life skills become a back burner thing compared to most of what kids are learning these days. Yep. Especially in areas that don't have the money to put in to resources because like I was saying, I don't think when we went to school, we maybe had a guidance counselor, but we definitely didn't have anybody who was really well suited to deal with anyone who was out of the norm. You know, I do think schools have gotten better, but not all of them. There are schools who maybe have a lot of people that would fall into that population, but they don't have the funds to pay for somebody to come in. You know, it's just a hot mess. Truly. I mean, I just am in shock of the fact that this kid had so many people that knew about him. He was a known threat. And again, I keep coming back to the thought. He was expelled two years prior. And he was doing some weird stuff in the meantime, too. He was on social media, and people on social media claimed that he was very outward about it. They had seen troubling behavior from him for months prior to the shooting in Marjorie Stoneman Douglas. Was it his Instagram account news showed pictures of his? I don't know if I'm mixing up people because unfortunately this happens way too often. But I remember after a shooting, they showed the shooter's Instagram page and it was pictures of his guns, pictures of like creepy shit. Yeah, I mean, I think it's probably not the only time it's happened, but yes, they did. And his account is trippy. You can go and Google it. I looked at pictures. He's wearing balaclavas. He's showing knives, stacking a bunch of guns on his bed, a bunch of ammunition, you know, a couple of him in a MAGA hat, a couple of him holding a gun up against the mirror. And across various social media sites, they'd seen him posting about violence and alluding to concerning behavior on Twitter, Facebook. He posted a number of concerning things online, including animal cruelty, hate speech toward certain people, weapons he had, and even a desire to kill and hurt people. I mean, he came right out and said it. He made several specific references to shooting up the school and... That's eventually what got him expelled. He posted himself in a bulletproof vest, carrying guns, wearing camouflage, showing weapons on Twitter posts. I mean, he laid out a dozen guns on his bed or a half dozen guns on his bed, wearing a balaclava. One student who was interviewed after the shooting offered some keen insight, actually, his perception around the school, like what people in school thought of him. He claimed that he and the other students all believed that if there was a shooting that would take place in Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, Cruz would be the perpetrator. This same student also said he'd ridden the bus with Cruz and had class with him on multiple occasions. In that time, he'd heard Cruz make several inappropriate jokes about the Holocaust and Hitler. 
He was also supposedly openly racist towards Jews and black people. Supposedly, Cruz also brought multiple animals he had killed to school with their heads removed. He had some pretty strange habits involving his posting and some things he had recently killed. He would display them proudly on social media like a trophy hunter. He allegedly drew swastikas on the school desks. As Cruz was on a call with his mother while he was at the bank, and he claimed out loud for everybody to hear that he wanted to kill his mother and burn her house down. He told his mother to kill herself or that he would kill her and set the house on fire so he could watch her burn while standing in a bank. He alleged that no one could stop him from doing what he needed to do. During his trial, Cruz's attorneys lobbied to have his brain scanned in the effort to get readings on what his intent might have been on the day of the shooting, basically saying that when he was hyperactive and that his brain was in full go mode, it would read differently. Um, They claimed that his life had been traumatic leading up to that day, up until the point that his circumstances mitigated the murders. That was their defense. They were asking for what's called an EEG examination. And EEG exams have been common in medicine for over a century now, basically measuring brain waves to help doctors diagnose things like epilepsy and other brain internal ailments. But this QEEG analysis, which has been around since the 70s, goes a step further. Patients' EEG results are compared to a database of brain waves taken from normal or quote-unquote neurotypical people. And this is why they talked about testing Ted Bundy as well, like the same type of thought process going into this, that a patient's results, if they're different, are noticeable and therefore can be identified prior to these types of awful events taking place. QEEG findings cannot be used to make diagnoses, but they can support findings based on the patient's history, examination, further behavioral and other tests. So supporters contend that it is a positive way to look and maybe know for sure what people's tendencies are based on their brain waves. Whether that's true or not, I find up for debate, put it that way. So QEEG stands for quantitative cephalogram. QEEG, thank God for short. And supporters say it provides useful support for such diagnoses, even as fetal alcohol syndrome. And that was the crux of their defense, that Cruz's attorneys contended that his mother, not his adoptive parents, had been an alcoholic and therefore fetal alcohol syndrome had kind of impaired him throughout his entire life. I mean, after you read about this kid's history, it kind of makes sense. I don't know if you saw the thing I sent, Matt. It's all about the different accounts of his behavior prior to this. And it says... The following reflects the categories of Cruz's unreported behavior known to people before the shooting. Animal cruelty slash killing, seven witnesses. Knife, bullet, firearms seen in Cruz's possession, 19 witnesses. Statements of hatred towards a group of a group or person, eight witnesses. Statement of desire to hurt or kill people, 11. Specific statement to shoot school, three. And I just, I think we just fail kids left and right all the time. And like, like you said, his own mom was afraid of him. It was reported that she said when he was 18, she, she wanted him out of her life, but was afraid what that would mean for whoever had to deal with him. 
and he threatened to kill her all the time. He told her to kill herself all the time. This is nightmare fuel. And it just makes you wonder how many red flags have to pop up before someone's willing to take action. Because wouldn't you rather take action and be wrong than not take action and be right in this circumstance? Absolutely. And we talked about this earlier, but we'll talk about it more with eye for an eye. But you're like, there were multiple people that knew of this dude's proclivity, shall we say. I mean, there were dozens of witnesses who were like, eh, he says a lot of weird shit online and has made statements, posted pictures, come to school and drawn on the fucking desks in swastikas and praised Hitler. There's all kinds of things here that you're like, where was somebody to be like, okay, we should probably call the cops. And again, I don't even want to put that on the police because what are they even supposed to do in this instance? Well, that's the thing. I think in the topic of gun reform and mental health advocacy, we need to find some way to do something when this is what the case is. I get free speech, but there's a reason hate speech isn't considered free speech. You know what I mean? We have so many people like Nicholas Cruz, and this is a 69-page PowerPoint presentation from the state of Florida about all the things that we should have seen about Nicholas. Where the fuck was everybody? Yeah. Why are we even hearing about how he killed 17 people? And how the fuck did he get to buy a gun? This says, witness, student at MSD day of shooting. The witness was a student at MSD. She provided a statement about what occurred during the shooting in her class. She knew Nicholas Cruz because he had previously dated her friend. And she said, Cruz was abusive towards the other female. She knew Cruz had killed frogs, lizards, and squirrels. And Cruz reportedly hated frogs because his dog somehow died from a frog. And then she had heard that Cruz had bought knives and bullets to the school but did not actually see them herself. She was aware of previous posts made by Cruz of the deceased animals and firearms. And then this next one says Cruz threatened this witness via Instagram in 2016 after his relationship with the other female ended. Cruz told her that he would kill her, rape her, and hurt her family and kill all of the people that she cared about. What? There has to be a way when you're homicidal and seriously disturbed to do something about that. You know how you can 5150 someone or whatever it is. There has to be something for people that are homicidal as well. You can't just listen to someone make all these threats, bring all these weapons to school, kill animals, and just be like, he hasn't done anything yet. So like, who cares? We talked about it with the James Holmes case, right? There were multiple occasions where somebody could have said, done something. This guy had dozens of people who were like, he's definitely out there. I mean, the one kid said it. If anybody was going to shoot up the school, it was going to be that guy. Yeah. And then he did it. How does that happen? It's not like this guy wasn't well known to be a threat. Wait, this is just mind blowing to me. So this witness that came forward was an employee at a firearm business. He recognized Cruz after seeing media coverage after the shooting had occurred. He described a time when Cruz entered the store, and he may have been about 17 years old at the time. He did not purchase anything on that visit. Cruz returned to that store a few months later after turning 18 with a female he introduced as his grandmother to purchase a firearm. He described the one with Cruz as an older white female with white hair, most likely Linda Cruz. However, the employee completed the process for Cruz to purchase a firearm. The woman who had been with Cruz 
called the store the following day and told the employee, quote, do not release the gun if I am not present with him, end quote. He asked why and if something was bothering her about selling the gun to Cruz that he had to know. The female caller, again, presumably Linda Cruz, said that it was just because he was young and to make sure he's safe and everything. An employer explained to the person presumed to be Linda Cruz that if Nicholas Cruz wanted to pick up the firearm himself, he would not stop him unless she provided a reason to do otherwise. And she responded that, no, he's fine. I just want to make sure he's safe. You know, he's young. The first gun. The employer later noticed Cruz in the store with other people dressed in camouflage. He noticed that Cruz had a swastika john on his left wrist with a funner marker. And that was never reported until after the MSD shooting. I feel like one of the main things that we should take away from this kind of case is see something, say something. Yeah. I mean, how many people did, though? Not many, because a lot of these people came after the fact. Hey, although, yeah, after the fact, for sure, but, yeah. I get it. It's awkward, especially if you're reporting a weirdo kid in your class that hasn't really done anything, but is definitely saying, oh, I'm shit. But this kid has a laundry list of shit that you could get him for. Just even get him out of school. Get him out of the building on. And for some reason, it was all 2020 hindsight. I just can't get over the fact that he literally was like red flagged. It's like nobody, if you see this kid, don't let him near the school. And he walked in with a fucking duffel bag. Doesn't make sense. It doesn't. It just really makes you wonder if this is nature versus nurture. Did something happen to this kid? Did he get smacked in the head a few times? Alcohol syndrome is what his attorneys claimed was the root cause of it. That he couldn't have helped it. His mother was an alcoholic. So... His life before he was born was basically predetermined. Yeah, but there's so many people on this earth with FAS that don't commit school shootings, kill all the animals that they see. And, you know? Yes. It's like, what the fuck? There's a lot that needs to be changed. And he has a brother, Zachary. Apparently, Zachary Cruz and other friends would joke around saying that Nicholas Cruz would be a school shooter because the way he killed helpless animals. The witness stated that Cruz killed squirrels with a pellet gun and a duck with a tire iron. The killings occurred on a monthly basis. He remembered a picture of Nicholas Cruz on Instagram killing a toad. What in the fuck? This one's creepy. This was a witness from MSD on the day of the shooting. The student described the shooting from her perspective. When she fled the school after the shooting, she saw Nicholas Cruz because Matt said Nicholas ran out with everybody. She made a remark to him, quote, I'm surprised you weren't the one who did this, end quote. And he did not respond. You know what I find kind of deceiving? If you look at the media coverage of this small dick Nick, he looks like an unassuming little piece of garbage. But he doesn't look like idea that the creepy bullied emo kid you know in the corner that they like to try to pin this kind of stuff on i don't know he almost looks like you can feel sorry for him because he's such a sad sack shit but then you realize he's an absolute monster through and through how do you become this way yeah i don't know i just i'm so stressed (laughs) reading all of these testimonies there are 69 pages of witnesses saying pretty significant things that could have probably, if any, I don't know, five or 10 of these 69 pages were reported, 
Maybe he wouldn't have been able to get a gun. Maybe someone would have gotten him help. Uh, I mean, I wonder what can be done at that point. If people are that far gone, I don't know. But let's talk a little bit about his trial and inevitable sentencing. He was brought to trial in Florida in 2022, five years after the shooting, and charged with 17 counts of first-degree murder and 17 counts of attempted murder. Florida does have the death penalty. We know that. But in a jury trial, it must be considered unanimous by the jury in order to issue the death penalty statute. And we're going to talk about another case soon, Eileen Warnos, I'm very interested in. But the jury is asked to weigh the fact that all physical evidence, video surveillance, and witness testimony confirmed that Nicholas Cruz was the shooter against the fact that he had experienced mental illness symptoms and behavioral issues throughout his life. On October 20th, 2021, Nicholas Cruz actually pleaded guilty on all charges he was accused of at the behest of his public defender. Since little doubt existed that he was the shooter, it was expected that he would have a better chance for leniency with the death penalty by pleading guilty and then his fate would be up to a jury. And so when considering sentencing, juries have mitigating circumstances to consider as a factor, right? In Florida, there are eight mitigating circumstances under which Florida law allows for the defendants in a capital murder case to receive clemency. Number one, a defendant has no significant history or prior criminal activity. Number two, the capital felony was committed while the defendant was under the influence of extreme mental or emotional disturbance. Number three, the victim was a participant in the defendant's conduct or consented to the act. Number four, the defendant was an accomplice in the capital felony committed by another person and his or her participation was relatively minor. Number five, the defendant acted under extreme duress or under the substantial domination of another person, so basically being coerced or forced. Number six, the capacity of the defendant to appreciate the criminality of his or her conduct or to conform his or her conduct to the requirements of law was substantially impaired. Number seven, the age of the defendant at the time of the crime. And number eight, the existence of any factors in the defendant's background that would mitigate. So really we're talking about six and eight here. The capacity to understand and appreciate the criminality or conduct of their actions and the existence of factors in the background that would help mitigate the fact that they did this. Cruz's attorneys were saying it was a combination of both. Prosecutors made their argument for death to the five women, seven men jury and 10 alternates over three weeks. They rested their case on August 4th after the panel toured the still bloodstained, still bullet pocked classroom building where the massacre took place. Sorry, I just wanted to make a comment about that statement you made because I feel like bullet pocked, I don't know if that was your phrase, but like you can visualize that. Yeah, I think that is definitely like nail in the coffin type thing. Yeah, very impactful to see it. And there was still, I mean, it hadn't, I guess, even like still blood. It hadn't even cleaned everything up entirely, which is just crazy to think about. But I guess they didn't for whatever reason. And yeah, that must have been crazy to walk through and understand the depth of it. 
I wonder if they brought Cruz with them to make him relive it. That would have been crazy. After several days of deliberations, Nicholas Cruz was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. The jury foreman said that 12 jurors had voted against recommending the death penalty in this case. Only one no vote was required to spare the gunman because he had pleaded guilty to 17 counts. Gordon Weeks, the chief public defender for Broward County, said that this is not a day for celebration, but that the jury's decision should be respected. He said, and I quote, the jurors decided this case after a number of days of very, very difficult traumatic evidence, and they heard it all, and they weighed it all, and they rendered their verdict. Just days after the shooting, several Marjorie Stoneman Douglas students formed Never Again MSD, an anti-gun violence organization and political action committee. On March 24, 2017, these and other students helped organize the March for Our Lives, a demonstration in support of gun violence prevention. One cool thing that came out of this, three weeks later, Governor of Florida Rick Scott who is actually a supporter of the NRA, responded with some support in invigoration for this. He signed a bill imposing a 21-year-old legal age requirement for gun purchases and a three-day waiting period on all gun transactions. The law also controversially permitted the arming of some school employees, like security guards and giving teachers the option. It was the first time in 30 years that Florida had passed any gun control measures. So this case was impactful in the legislative sense as well, because Florida is not exactly a gun-hating state. The South in general, I feel like, is more open to gun ownership. But hell, I know a lot of motherfuckers in PA that have guns, so that's not uncommon anywhere in America really anymore. And to this day, the legacy of the rampage still hangs over the area of Parkland. Jamie Gutenberg's dad, I follow him on Twitter. He's a very outspoken activist now. His life has been irreparably changed, obviously. But he is still so active in the community for victim support, gun victim support, and then just like uniting of families in an effort to try and reduce these incidents from happening further. David Hogg, who is a student at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, has actually since gained notoriety as a professional activist, basically, protesting for gun control after firsthand witnessing the horrors Nicholas Cruz was able to commit with the weapons he had displayed online, which, as we said, he purchased legally. Let's talk about it, guys. Eye for an eye. A couple questions I have for you guys. They sentenced this motherfucker to life in prison with the option to give him the death penalty. Do we believe anyone else should share responsibility for the death toll at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School? Seemed like there were multiple opportunities to try and stop him or at least alert potential victims to fortify security around the school. I think there are certain things that the school should be responsible for if he's literally bringing in dead animals. There's got to be a point where we step in, but I don't know. I was just listening to one of the cases I was editing and we were having a similar conversation and I'll make the same point. Nobody made him do this. He was the one that ultimately 
walked in and shot up a school, his school. And so I think there are things that people could have done better, but would they prevent the situation from ultimately happening? We can't really say that. I agree. I think, are there people that could have prevented the shooting? Probably not. Do I think there are people that could have stepped in and raised even more alarms and tried to get this kid help many, 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 many times prior? Yes. Would I blame those people for what he ultimately did? No. But do I think this serves as a lesson that we all need to take very seriously? When you see 69 pages of witness witnessed events and conversations and photos and actions and all of the above where there's a red flag that goes up, I think this is a reminder you need to do something about that and say something about that. I do think the school should have done way more. And I think in all schools, unfortunately, more security needs to be at place. I don't understand how he was able to breach the school so easily and do so much damage. But Rose was right when she said, you don't go to school to be in a fortress. You go to school to learn. Teachers are not hired to be policemen. Teachers are hired to teach. I don't know. Maybe there needs to be a school for disturbed individuals where they have one-on-one counseling while also being taught because there's no reason with all of this information that this should have been able to happen. And yeah, hindsight is twenty twenty, Absolutely. But if I had some kid sending me dead animals in the mail, showing me how many animals he's killed, talking about Hitler and how he wants to kill everybody and how he's glad that the Pulse nightclub shooting happened, threatening to kill his mom every single day and burn down the house. I think those are more than enough reasons to be like, we got to do something. If there's that many glaring flags, why are we ignoring them? I'd rather report someone and be wrong than not report someone and be right. I don't know. That's my really long-winded way of saying, no, I don't think anyone's responsible for the shooting but Nick. But I do think a lot of people, places, and things failed him. What about you, Matt? What do you think? I agree with both of you in the sense that there are a lot of instances where we can point to this and say, wow, you know, it seems like this kid was a problem child for a long time. I don't think that necessarily means anybody should be looked at as being culpable because, like you said, Jules, he chose to do this. He's the one who ended up perpetrating the shooting. I just can't fathom how a kid who was on a probationary period where he wasn't allowed to even bring a backpack, who's able to walk into the school carrying a duffel bag with three rounds of ammunition and a backpack as well. So I feel like whoever that security guard is absolutely has to have some liability. There's no way that you can tell me that guy doesn't feel some type of guilt himself, if not should be held as somewhat accountable for it because your job was to prevent this from happening. Granted, he wasn't armed, so it's not like he could have stood there and blown him away. And I don't know what a code red would have prevented. That might have made it worse, everybody streaming out of the building. I don't know what their procedure was, but 
I just feel like this is one of those cases where we knew how bad this kid was. It was no surprise to anybody that it was him that did the shooting. I did not know that story about the girl who saw him and as they were leaving, was like, oh, I'm surprised this wasn't you. But that's telling in a lot of ways. Everybody witnessed what he was, saw what he said online, did these things for months leading up to this. I guess the follow-up to that is like, I think we need to get a better streamline of what you do. Who can you tell? We talk about all the time, like stalking. In order to charge a stalker, you got to have like a gazillion pieces of evidence lined up and an actual threat to you to have anything done. So maybe it's talking to police forces and seeing how you streamline this. Okay. Yeah, it's not illegal to post a dead toad on Instagram and a couple guns, but what would have been enough? I don't know. It's so tricky. Yeah, I mean, that's true. Like, who do you tell? It's not like you can call the cops on a kid who didn't do anything yet. Like, yeah, hey, this kid that's weird in my school told me he has a couple guns and he kills animals. I just don't understand it. And again, not blaming that guy, not saying that one person should be held accountable. Anybody should be held accountable more than Nick Cruz. My second question on that same train of thought, do we believe in arming teachers or putting more security on campus to prevent situations like these? And if not, what else can be done? I have an interesting answer to this question because my mom and a lot of people I know have been teachers and I try to think about it both from the teacher's perspective, from the student's perspective, and from the parent's perspective. And I've had this conversation with my mom before. She's a preschool teacher. She's dealing with three and four-year-olds and she really struggles when they would have actors shooter drills. She would always say, Lisa, I'm not a police officer. I didn't sign up to sacrifice my life for the kids I'm teaching. I love the kids I teach and I love what I do, but I also have an obligation to my family. Basically saying like if an active shooter comes in, I'm not going to sit there and barricade everybody. I'm jumping out the fucking window and I'll get as many kids out with me, but I'm getting out. My job is not to save the school. But I was like, there's no way you would look at a three-year-old in the face when an active shooter is at your door and be like, bye, and jump out the window. I know that's just not realistically what would happen, but it was a really interesting conversation. I understood where she was coming from. It's not a teacher's job to be a police officer. It's not a teacher's job to be of extremely disturbed kids psychologists. This is not what they are specialized in. This is not what they signed up to do. But then I think about it from the position of the kids. When you're that small, that tiny, you do look to your teachers to protect you. You do look to school as supposed to safe space. And as a parent, I'm expecting my kid when I send them to you that they're safe. Now, that doesn't mean I'm expecting you to be a police officer and to wield a gun and know how to shoot another kid who's coming in and shooting up the place. But as a parent, I don't want to send my kid to a school where the teachers want to do everything in their power to protect my kid should something go wrong. Even in the event of a fire, I don't want the teacher running out and leaving my kid behind. I'm trusting them with my kid to take care of my kid. But that doesn't mean I want my kids going to school where all the teachers have guns either. Yeah, I think you make a lot of interesting points, Lisa. And to 
the point we were talking about earlier in terms of killing bugs, I taught primarily second and third grade. And then I also taught sixth grade. Seeing differences, like when I taught second and third grade, I remember like anytime there was a bee, there was a bug, it was Miss Young, like they're looking at me. And to your point, when children are that young, you're their parent in that time frame. They're looking to you. But then to your other point, teachers shouldn't have to be in the position of, am I going to save you or am I going to save myself or my family, whether that's me and my own children or me and Ranger, you know, whatever it is. I don't think arming teachers is something we should consider. I think there's too much potential for disaster happening there. I think more security is helpful, but I we've talked about, I forget what school it was because unfortunately this is such a common conversation, but the student knew the active shooter drills. They knew, okay, when this happens, we do X. They were prepared. I don't know. School should be a place where you have fun and not worry about your life, whether you're a teacher or a student. I would hope that putting more security in place can help, but unfortunately, this is a perfect example. You know, this had more security than my high school ever did, and somehow we still are with this outcome. I don't know what the solution is, but I don't think it's arming teachers. I just think about would I want a teacher to have a gun in a classroom? Say there is a rambunctious or crazy student who gets a hold of that gun. I think about like Lisa's mom or Meg or Jules having to pull out a gun and shoot somebody. Like, doesn't equate. I want to say I do like the idea of adding more security to schools. I've even said that having retired cops or retired military personnel and i think that should absolutely be a government subsidized program because that's something that would like we said create jobs for these people but also have an accountability and i think that would actually prevent a lot of these incidences from happening probably not this one because as we said there was security there but i appreciate both your perspectives it's a hot button issue still to this day and we're five years post this shooting i want to go back from my next question to Nicholas Cruz and his mental state. Cruz exhibited multiple signs of mental disturbance throughout his life leading up to this. Is there any way that he could have been previously identified? Why was it the administration continued to let him into the school system as long as they did? Only thing, I'm not saying that this is what happened here, but the only thing I can think of is if he truly did have some sort of diagnosis there was probably nothing they could do to actually kick him out of the school system. And even if they were able to, then he goes to what another school system and becomes another school's problem. I think we need to get more to the root of it. It seems like there were flags and signs everywhere. So I just don't really know. That's the only thing I can think of is that they could not kick him out if he had a diagnosis because that becomes an issue with the Americans with Disabilities Act or something like that, you know? But I think there's a difference when you're a threat with your disability. I don't disagree with you. I'm just saying that's the only thing I can think of that makes an ounce of sense. But even then, if they do kick him out, where does he go? He just doesn't have the right to be educated? I don't know. Right. Especially he hasn't done anything that only makes it worse. Well, I know at my high school, 
for the kids that like always got expelled and it's suspended and whatever they had in our sports complex they would hold classes up there and they were guarded like there was a security officer who stood in the classroom with these kids and they thought it was a big joke because they got in trouble for stupid shit so it was like okay why am I in here huddled with a security officer learning and they would learn via video so maybe something like that but I don't know I think a lot needs to change in this world yes I have two more questions for you hit us do we feel like any of the mitigating circumstances in this case as we talked about six and eight outweighed what he did in the sense of the death penalty in Florida? I mean, it seems like, yes, he has had some unfortunate circumstances that he's found himself in, but that happens to a lot of people and they don't solve their problems by shooting up schools. So I think it's something that's unfortunate and maybe would have caused a different outcome, but too bad. Yeah, I like that. What do you think, Matt, while I I bring this up? I don't think his circumstances and his background changed the fact that he made a cognitive decision and was aware of what he was doing. I feel like he knew damn well that he was committing this crime, and I feel like he was planning on doing it for a while and said as much, and I don't think that changes anything. The fact that he was... Potentially affected by fetal alcohol syndrome or any abuse he may have suffered in school. I don't think it changes the fact that he still made the cognitive decision to do it. And fuck him for that. I agree with both of you. Which points were, like, stuck on? Capacity of defendant to appreciate the criminality of his... What? What does that mean? Did he know whether what he was doing was right or wrong? Well, obviously he knew it was wrong. He's been threatening to kill people since his fucking motherfucker was five. That's what they were trying to determine. Those are the mitigating circumstances. And then you said H? Yes, his background. Like Jules said, many people have trauma in their background that don't push them to try to shoot up their entire school, kill animals, threaten to kill their mom, threaten to murder their friends or people that are supposed to be their friends. I'm... Kind of curious. Do we know specifically what parts of his background that they were sticking on? I know he found out he was adopted later in life. I know his mom passed away. And that was obviously, I'm sure, a traumatic experience. But then again, he was threatening everybody around him anyways. But do we know what specific points that the jury was given for that specific one. I think the fetal alcohol syndrome was another thing that his defense attorneys were harping on saying had a lot to do with his development or lack thereof. Yeah, I don't buy that shit. I'm kind of surprised that he didn't get the death penalty to be 100% honest with you, especially in a place like Florida because Florida is Florida. WTH3 all day, baby. Yeah, boy. So that leads me to my last question. Eye for an eye, do we believe the punishment of life without parole fits the crime? 17 people dead, 17 attempted counts of murder. What do we think? I think he should fry. Fry his ass. And I typically don't say that. Yeah, wow, that is true. Jules doesn't say that often. That's true. I was thinking that too, Jules. I was just going to comment on that. You're not usually the one to say that. So then y'all already know what I'm thinking. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yes. And before 
we share our other thoughts. We did pull our listeners on this, which was cool that we did before we recorded this episode. So we polled our listeners and asked if they felt that justice was served and life without the possibility of parole is fine. If justice was not served and Nicholas should have gotten the death penalty or, you know, some other sort of sentence. And 62% of our Instagram friends said that justice was not served and he should have gotten the death penalty. And 38 said justice was served and life is fine. That's about what I would have expected, ironically enough. I feel like roughly two out of three people would probably say, no, fuck this dude. Well, I also think you have to consider some of the people that are just like staunchly against the death penalty as well. Oh, you you have to take that into account as well. Yeah, I mean, there are going to be people out there who are like, listen, I don't care what he did. He shouldn't be killed. I agree, though. I do think he should have gotten the death penalty because it's not like you get the death penalty and you die tomorrow. Like he will be in jail in solitary confinement 23 out of 24 hours a day for a very long time probably. But I think we need to learn more. If we're not going to take action with the things that we know are the problem, which is access to guns, gun reform, and security in schools and paying attention to red flags, then we need to look at the source while we have them in a box so we can observe them and figure it out and figure out what makes this motherfucker tick. What happened to this kid and how do we help this kid? Can we sit down, Nicholas, and say, was there anything on this planet that could have prevented what you did? Where was the line drawn? And I think as part of his punishment, he should be forced to answer that question. (laughs) He should be sat down hours and hours a day and someone should be just digging into his brain and figuring out. You think we cut his head open and lobotomize him? That's what I was thinking when Lisa said, oh, poke around. Yeah, cut open his brain. You literally said cut open his brain. I meant like, you know, dig on in there. Like, dig, Oh, yeah, dig into his brain. I'm like, with a scalpel, you mean? Do you think we should lobotomize him? I think if anyone deserves a death penalty in cases in recent memory that we have covered, he's definitely one of them because there's evil deep, deep down inside there. And I think we need to start learning from our past because we keep letting the same thing repeat itself over and over and over again. And something's got to give because by the time I have kids and they're school age, I'm not going to want to send them to school. And Lord knows you don't want me to be their teacher. That's not what I do. So let's keep that in mind. We don't want little Lisas running around that were only taught by Lisa. Okay. They're like, do you know Jeffrey Tomer? I don't know Abe Lincoln, but I know Jeffrey Tomer. They can name you every serial killer, first, last name, all the crimes committed, but they have no idea who the presidents are. And that's pretty much uh, what's going on up here in my brain. But you guys, it's been really fun. It's been so much fun. It's never a fun topic, but it's a fun time to spend with my two friends. (laughs) So on that note, rate, review, subscribe. Let us know what you guys think. Um, Our hearts and minds and souls are with everybody that has been affected, not only by this particular school shooting but all of the other ones and i think we could all agree i hope we can all agree that enough is enough and something needs to be done curious everyone's perspective who's listening to this 
what you guys think. If you think I for and I was met, do you think he should have gotten life? Do you agree with our poll that we took on Instagram that death penalty was the way it should have gone? Or do you think there's something else? Or do you think there's something to be learned from this case? Let us know. It's been really, really great. really has. We love you all. I'll see you guys. I don't know. Somewhere over the rainbow. It's been fun. Goodbye.